Test, test, one, two, three. You know who I be. It's your boy, Don Wall, a.k.a. Moral SP. Welcome to Embrace More Podcast. I'm here, of course, with the homie Carl to discuss food deserts after we've researched and learned a few things. Today, we will discuss, but also reflect on what we found. But first, Carl. Yes. We got to get into our Big Facts segment today. Uh, If you're new to joining us, the Big Facts segment is where we, either me or Carl, will shout out people, organizations, or events happening already making a difference in Richmond. This episode's shout out goes to my main man, Illa, and his amazing team here at The Music Shop. Launched in early 2021, The Music Shop is a creative company inspired by music. They are located here in the heart of Richmond, Virginia's Arts District. In addition to their work with independent artists, The Music Shop has also been engaged by larger national clients, such as RCA Records, Rock Nation, Dream Chasers, and The Source Magazine. The Music Shop promotes artists through their music blog, social media channels, and in-depth interviews and performances via podcasts and events. So shout out to The Music Shop here at the center. And that's where we are right now, y'all. We're actually, we're shouting out. It's, it's kind of meta. I was about to say the same It's kind thing. of meta. We're shouting out somewhere that we actually are. We are we are recording at the center, which is ran by the music shop. Uh, and Illa, who I shouted out, I went to middle school and some of high school with. So he's an old friend. We were able to reconnect. Uh, and he is he's doing well for himself. He has his place here and he's worked hard to get here. And I'm like, just super happy, man. Super happy for him. Super proud of him. Uh, in any way that we can support, I can support, you know, like we're, we're here for it. So, you know, shout out to the music shop. Uh, music means music. So shout out to y'all. Big facts. Y'all doing great things. So let's get into our main squeeze, Carl. I'm actually really excited, bro. I'm not going to lie. I'm super excited about this, like, researched episode. Yeah. And reflect because I, I, I've i learning, like, researching things. I learned a lot. And although I wish we had uh, a guest to teach us, I was really blown away by some of the things that I was able to learn through What'd the research. Learn? I learned a lot. I learned a lot. But before we get to our main squeeze, just a disclaimer, this is part two of our topic, food deserts. So if you have not listened to part one, you should probably go back and listen to that before you listen to this. Uh, But in part two, we will be learning, um, or we will be discussing specifically this time, we will be be discussing what we've researched, what we've learned. Uh, Normally we would love to have a guest come out. So if you are a a food deserts or, you know, an expert in some type of fashion that has to do with those things, please reach out to us. Uh, We would love to talk to you and learn from you. But this time we've researched and we have some information to share with you guys. So, Carl, last episode, we said, what is a food desert? And we both defined it Mm -hmm. in different ways. Um, But I have an official one, okay? The Annie E. Casey Foundation Mm. defines it as geographic areas where residents have few to no convenient options for securing affordable and healthy foods, especially fresh fruits and vegetables. 
disproportionately found in high poverty areas. Food deserts create extra everyday hurdles that can make it harder for kids, families, and communities to grow healthy and strong. Yeah. So remembering back what we talked about, obviously neither one of us were this in depth, but I wanted to pull out some of the things that was different from what we kind of talked about. Specifically, the few to no convenient options. Yeah, let's unpack that. The, let's, let's unpack that, the convenient options, because they, so like when you hear the word food desert, often you can think, oh, they don't have any options for food, period. And that's not the case. Or right. the opposite is someone can say, well, that's not a food desert. They have a, they, there's a, you know, there's fast food restaurants or they have a shop right there. Yeah, it you goes know? into some of our assumptions. Right. And it's I think I had some assumptions, too, even thinking about, well, is it really a food desert? How can you tell? And the the whole convenient, convenient option for securing affordable. I didn't think about the money part, affordable mm-hmm. and healthy foods. Yeah. Especially fresh fruits and vegetables. Nutrition. Nutrition. Yeah. Nutrition. It's not, just, it's not just calories now. Right. 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 So like what we're calling food deserts is. Specifically places that's not just calories. We we did talk about the corner stores and we're mm-hmm. gonna get into that more a little bit later. But the also the part that talks about food deserts creating extra everyday hurdles. Mm-hmm. Now I wanted to put that beside everybody's struggles. Everybody has to deal with maybe not having enough money for food, or maybe Oh, man, I got to go to the supermarket. Oh, man, I don't have enough money for some of the things I want to cook for dinner this week or this month or whatever the case. But food deserts, by this definition, creates an extra everyday hurdle. I thought that was really impactful the way they worded that, that the people that live in food deserts deal with what we deal with and they have an extra hurdle. And sometimes those hurdles can come out in different different ways. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get into that. I don't want to get uh, too ahead of myself. But I guess with that definition, is there anything new popping out to you, Carl? With that definition, uh, not exactly new. Mm-hmm. But I'm especially excited that you presented that definition. because That gets into our hypotheses, too. Oh, I almost forgot about the hypothesize. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is I remember it now that this we essentially both said that. Well, you said it better than I did. No, I, I just I had a different one. You had a different one. Yeah. OK. <laughs> well, I said <laughs> I know what I said. I said that if food deserts are, in fact, a real thing, then it impacts. Then we're all in danger like mm-hmm. that. In a food desert in any city impacts everybody, not just the people that live there, but it, it's it's that's bad for all of us. Um, and I think my hypothesis is right based on one thing we're going to get into a little later. But yeah, so where are food deserts located? This was interesting as well. This is also from the Annie E. Casey Foundation. They did a, a great job. Uh, generally speaking, food deserts are more common in areas with smaller populations. Higher rates of abandoned or vacant homes. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. Sounding a little bit familiar now. I'm going to keep going. Residents who have lower levels of education, lower incomes, and higher rates of unemployment. Carl, when I researched this and I read that part, I stood up. <laughs> like, you threw down the book. Bro, <laughs> bro, when I read that part, I like had to walk away mm-hmm. because I was like, oh my gosh, there's only one. I'm sorry. This is no longer Embrace Matters of Race. This is Embrace Matters of Richmond. But we don't shy away from the hard topics. Exactly. And we've talked about race. That's our roots. And I have to be honest with y'all, listeners. I only thought of one community. When I read residents who have lower levels of education, lower income, and higher rates of unemployment. Those are all researchable things. You can look at census. You can look at the stats. Mm -hmm. That is primarily the black and brown communities. Primarily, when we talk about low education, low income, and higher rates of unemployment. Say that again. When we talk about lower levels of education, lower income rates, and higher rates of unemployment, we are specifically talking about the black and brown communities. It's undeniable. Mm. It's undeniable. We're not talking about any other communities here. Okay? This is, I mean, it. this research even goes on to say, food deserts are also, also disproportionately or disproportionately a reality for black communities. It says it in it. According to the 2014 study from the Johns Hopkins University, the study compared U.S. census tracts of similar poverty levels and found that in urban areas, black communities had the fewest supermarkets, white communities had the most supermarkets, and multicultural communities fell in the middle of the supermarket count spectrum. This is a 2014 study from a university, John Hopkins University. Let me be, let me plug them as Eight much as I can. Ago. Eight years ago. I, I don't know where those numbers are now. I'm sure that there's more stuff. There's more data here. More complexities. More compa- more, right, right. More complexities. Let me continue. In the 2015, USDA estimated that over 60,545 Richmond residents live in a food desert. Let me say that one again, because I think our listeners need to understand some things. In 2015, USDA estimated that over 60,545 Richmond residents live in a food desert. That figure is almost 38,000 for Henrico, nearly 16,000 for Petersburg, and just over 14,000 for Chesterfield. Those numbers are crazy. I didn't, I, when I said food deserts or when I think about food deserts, I do not think about Henrico County. Hmm. I do think about Petersburg yep. because we have connections there. And I do think about Chesterfield because there's some, there's some areas in Chesterfield that make sense yeah. that, I, that I've seen. 
but Henrico County, I guess the lines are a little bit different from like I, the lines are weird to me because I'm in the school system. So they, they change a lot. That those are some crazy numbers. I don't know. Looking at even more recent studies, here we go. More recent studies show that the disparities haven't changed much over the years. In 2021, a study identified a common confusion when it comes to discussing food deserts, stores that sold or stores that sell food versus grocery stores. That's something we should probably unpack. But, huh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Whoa. Okay. I'm going to read that again. In 2021, a study identified a common confusion when it comes to discussing food deserts, stores that sell food versus grocery stores. There's a difference here. For instance, Richmond government classified convenience stores, mm -hmm. pharmacies, or discount stores like Family Dollar as food stores. When in fact, these stores rarely ever provide residents access to nutritional food. Mm. And that's something that we should stop and unpack for a second. Because we talked about convenience stores and we talked about the Takis and we yep. talked about those things. Richmond's government identified, classified, this is 2021 we're talking about, classified convenience stores, pharmacies, and discount stores like Family Dollar as food stores. Family Dollar does not have any nutritional foods. It's all processed foods. It's chips, it's candies, it's, you know, deli meats. Well, not even deli meats, but like Slim Jims, mm -hmm. <laughs> high processed foods. And pharmacies, I mean, you can get some Chex Mix there. You can get some cereal. Cereal, some Wick stuff. Some Wick stuff, that's true. Yeah. But no nutritional. You're not going to get fresh produce i think it's i think there there may be some some reaching for nutritional so you can get a you can actually get a steak from family dollar you can get a steak it may not be the best cut of steak meat <laughs> so i think they, they do try like canned food yeah but do you think that it's because they have to because they feel like i think it's because they they have they to, need to or you know but not not people not a lot of people expect you know, the, the, you know, the crab, the fish, you know, some chicken, mm -hmm. some nutritional cut meats and protein. But I think there is something there, but it's not it's not a lot. That's crazy. That's a 2021 study because mm -hmm. that's after COVID. Oh, wow. And something that I didn't even think about was how did COVID impact food deserts? And I'm sure it did. And I mean, a lot a lot went into this study that I'm reading from, mm -hmm. you know, listeners. Um, and they did a study or they did talk about how it impacted. And it just made it worse because you, you got to think and this viewers, this I mean, listeners, this is I'm talking to y'all. You got to think we were all locked down. We were all stuck in the house. No one was working. So those who do have a job in these lower economic areas was not only making money, they were losing money. Right. Um, they're not working. They're not. They're really not able to do public transportation because a lot of these places 
these families don't have a reliable transportation. Yeah, they're not walkable communities. And there are debates about that, too. Right, right. Because I, I believe also the one mile rule is in effect as well. Mm. If it's outside of one mile, it's considered too far away for from studies. This mm. is from studies. You know, during COVID, it's not like they can just hop on the bus because the bus isn't running. Uh, it, it's just made it almost impossible for them to get resources. Yeah during COVID's time. So a study in 2021, you know, I know that there was, you know, this, I'm sure the government even saw, hey, this is a problem that we need to address. Yeah, this is, um, this is a problem that they needed to address. And uh, more, more of the uh, research we have here, it says one thing we have found in our research is the argument for how the term food desert doesn't actually address the core issues. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That stems from food inequities. According to a Healthline study, the term desert suggests natural barren landscapes and proposes that an increase in the number of grocery stores is all that is needed to combat the crisis. Pausing there, I'm like, that taught me something. Yeah. Cause I'm like, well, yo, just like yo, Target, Whole Foods, all just move down there, move, move to places that need you, and provide resources. All these places need us resources, but because of the lack of resources for so long, there's a bigger issue here. It's health. Health is the bigger issue. Going back to the, to the, the main definition that this foundation put together, it ends with. It makes it harder for kids, families, and communities to grow healthy and strong. The problem, listeners, with food deserts is that it breeds unhealthy human beings. Yeah, and that that gets to my <laughs> hypothesis. That does get to your hypothesis. Yeah. And mine was, if we do not fix this problem, it will affect everybody. Right. Unhealthy human beings means we have ineffective populations in the future who aren't able to contribute to society. Exactly. Yeah. And that's bad for business. If you're a business owner, that's bad for business because these kids grow up, they're going to need a job. And if they can't work a job, then <laughs> you don't have workers. Yeah. And it, it also, so socially, I think this also perpetuates a perception Mm. on a certain population. Like, That's true. Because because they can't take a test. Mm -hmm. And if there's like a whole population of people who, who aren't effectively taking tests, then people are perceiving that community to be inadequate or ill-equipped or yeah. incompetent. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's wild. It is a, a new term. Food apartheid is being used instead yeah. to recognize the poor food and health environments among predominantly low income communities of color. So that's why, you know, from Hensel, if I if I say food desert, I'm only referring to the episode and what we talk, talked about. But food apartheid, when I move forward, I will definitely be referring to those things as food apartheid. At least I will try to. Because I do I do think that that is 
addressing more so of poor food and health. And I see that, you know, food apartheid, it, it really is digging deep into, man, this is breeding really unhealthy people. And how can people survive? How can people like flourish if the, you know, the number one thing that holds them back is their health? Yeah. You know, we need, you know, I, th- I think every community deserves and needs, you know, fresh foods from the earth, <laughs> you know. Um, but who does this impact and how? That's one thing that we talked about last episode as well. There are mer- there are many different variables that impact communities battling food insecurities. Um, and some of them include education. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm in education. I'm a teacher. So when my kids come in and they haven't eaten or all they have to eat is Takis, Red Bull, and Mike and Ike's, it's going to be a bad day for them. And you. And me. That Mike and Ike crash. That Mike and I crash is nuts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think there was some crashes today, but we ain't gonna, this this podcast is not about them. It's about what we talking about. Um, but it definitely in, impacts education because it's we are pushing the state is pushing these kids. Man, they have so many tests. They get tested out of the gym, mm. and they are learning things so quickly. They can't they can't focus on an empty stomach and or sugar stomach, Mike and Ike stomach. Um, and it's awful. More ways it's impact it impacts people. Employment and job training. Now obviously, that's that's one that's I mean, I understand it, but I'm trying to think of a, a logical way. What that looks like employment and job training yeah i can kind of speak to that um so studies have shown that people in work environments aren't able to retain information or right. contribute to you know work accountabilities if their energy levels aren't at a stable level so if they can't remember the content of a meeting or the content of a classroom they can't contribute the learnings to certain outcomes Professionally, so like, I don't know if you're trying to say, for instance, in finance, you know, work out or strategize or project numbers. Mm-hmm. If you can't do the math because you don't have the energy to think, or you don't remember what you know the the equation is, right? You're not going to really be effective, and that's just that's just I don't know. It's, it's yeah, it's an example. I'm not in, I'm not in finance. I'm in totally different industries. That's fair. But I, I understand that now. That makes complete sense. It's the same impact it would have on a, a kid, but yeah. it's having the same impact on an adult. Obviously, that who it impacts, it impacts socioeconomic status. It impacts uh, concentrated poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, it impacts their access to health care. So not only is it breeding unhealthy people, but these people don't have access to health care, you know, or consistent or good health care, uh, access to local food markets and fresh produce, mm-hmm. um, access to transportation. We talked about how hard it is for them to to travel uh, far distances. I believe it's one mile for uh, city areas, 
and I believe it's more than anything more than 10 miles for rural areas. Um, but that's an issue, access to transportation, uh, racial segregation and public safety. So these these food deserts, it it impacts a lot more than just, oh, they're not eating. Mm-hmm. But it's it's breaking down a lot of the structures of the community, you know, uh, things that, you know, other people we enjoy, you know, they lack. And I can't I can't fathom that, to be honest. Um, yeah, overall health is another huge issue. Well, not another because we've been talking about that, but it, it says it ends here. It says black people who are likelier to be food insecure have the highest rates of disease, largely related to diabetes and high blood pressure. A vicious cycle may develop in which people with chronic diseases and food food apartheid mm-hmm. rely on convenience stores and corner stores, which often sell expensive foods with low nutritional value. The cost of convenience. The cost of convenience, they're paying it twice. Further limiting people's capacity to buy health, healthy food. This research was impactful. This research was very impactful. And I think, I mean, how I feel, I feel like we need to sit hmm. more into, we need to lean more like in. Oh, there's so much in everything so much. you just said. It's, yeah. Yeah. There's so many more like adjacent topics, mm-hmm. lateral topics. And it will bring us right back to the same thing. Right. Yeah. Right. But I think that we should dive into those things. Yeah. You know, we talked about last series, we talked about uh, neighborhood bias. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about food apartheid. Man, health, poverty, transportation, like these are all adjacent things that community needs healthcare, you know, just these are things that we, I think, man, we plan on diving into yeah. next year. Um, so, yeah, our hypotheses are, were right, but I wish they weren't. That's how I feel about it. Um, but those of you out there listening to this episode, um, how do you feel? Like, I, I honestly, after an episode like that and after that re- type of research, I'm really interested in hearing what, how you guys are digesting this and what you plan to do with it. Um, I would say what I plan to do with it is, for one, food apartheid is the appropriate way to refer to it. And I, I plan on talking to people about it. I plan on having conversations just to see if people know about it. I, I need to start there. Like, do you even know? <laughs> what it is, what that is, and if it's real. And I had a, com- a couple conversations with some people today about it, and they were like, wow, like, thank you for I had no idea that, that was a thing. You know? They thanked you for that? They did thank me. <laughs> they did thank me for educating them. <laughs> like, I didn't push it on them, but they were like, wow, like, yeah. thank you for telling me that. I, I had no idea that that was a thing. Uh, and they were like, man, I'm going to do some research on my own. And I was yeah. like, that, yeah, do do research, you know, like start there. Obviously, research doesn't change anything about their world. But, you know, it's a start. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a start because what what's needed is compassion. Compassion will move you. Compassion will 
get things done. Yeah. You know? That's what I think. I don't know. What do you think? What's some things that you reflect on, Carl? Oh, my goodness. I don't. As far as research and facts, I think you you killed it there. Let's, you, you made it alive. Yeah. We see it now. And <laughs> um, hopefully it's a seed that, some, that grows into something in, in everybody's mind. Yeah. But with our, our hypotheses and what you just laid out, mm-hmm. I think we can imagine what the future would look like or even what you know, an assumption of the reality is right now. So yeah. if, if this is a problem, if we are not creating healthy people with the access of f- to food and nutrition that they have, mm-hmm. if this system keeps on going, you know, if somebody who is going to get heart disease because they have a whole trend of unhealthy decisions yeah. and because they only make the decisions that are based off what is in front of them. So if, the convenient food that's not healthy, mm-hmm. eventually somebody who has heart disease is going to have to rely on another system. Right. It's going to be a bigger problem. And a whole population of people that are relying on that system who are systematically unhealthy. Yeah. And in this apartheid, so it's like it's 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 institutionalized. Right. And it's, it's insidious. Yeah. Um, but it could, yeah. it could take like a small maybe policy decision or a movement within certain communities to to push the needle in the right way. Right. Yeah, I agree. Most definitely. I agree so much. This is an editorial written March 14th in 2019. Mm. Uh, editorial in Richmond Times Dispatch. We love them. It says no food deserts. I'm going to read some of this because it's this really long. It says, while the Richmond region boasts an impressive number of grocery stores, especially in the wealthier, fast-growing suburbs, sadly, not all the residents can enjoy the wide array of shopping options. In fact, across Virginia and the United States, there's often an unfortunate lack of proximity to grocery stores and low-income and low access rule and um, and urban communities. An estimated 1 million Virginians live in so-called food deserts, areas with no grocery stores within one mile in urban regions and within 10 miles in rural communities. Nationally, that figure is estimated at a dangerously high 37 million, according to the United States Department of Agriculture. What's that, like 10% of the country? That is about 11%. (laughs) That was a great guess. (laughs) That was about 11% of the country's population. Um, That's huge. That's huge. But skipping down, two Virginian or two Virginia Democratic lawmakers are part of a bipartisan effort to increase access to grocery stores in underserved areas by providing tax credits and grants to food service providers such as grocers, retailers, and nonprofits. U.S. Senator Mark Warner uh, Warner, and U.S. uh, Representative um, Donald McEachin. Hmm. I'm sorry if I butchered that. Rest in peace. Yeah. This was in 2019. Um, They're among the sponsors of the Healthy Food Access for All Americans Act. Um, This is an act that I didn't know anything about. 
uh, but it seeks to offer incentives to eliminate food apartheid. Mm. Oh, wow. The bill was introduced two years ago, but didn't clear the last session of Congress. No cost estimates are yet available. So this was in 2019. Skipping down, it says the market at 25th, the new grocery store in Richmond's East End, that's backed by businessman and philanthropist Steve Markle. Shout out to Steve. The area is home to four large public housing communities. That's Mosby. Shout out to Mosby. Mm -hmm. That's Whitcomb. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Whitcomb. That's Fairfield and Creighton Courts. Shout out to those areas. Yeah. I have a number of close friends that's in those areas and their kids are growing up in those areas. So shout out to those areas there uh, in our East End. Uh, They lack a major grocery store. Many of the residents live in poverty there, but now they have a convenient place to buy vegetables, fruits, and other healthy foods. And that's great to know Yeah, that change is starting to happen. It says, in this land of plenty, no citizen should live without easy access to fresh, affordable food. Not everyone can drive to a nearby Wegmans, Publix, or Kroger, or walk to a local farmer's market. Not everyone lives on a bus line. Mm-hmm. Healthy communities need good choices that are readily available. Yeah. I need Congress to pass this legislation into law. That's what I need. Yeah. That's what we need. That's what Richmond needs. That's what Richmond East Side needs is for Congress to put this into law, put this into legislation. Um, but that's a glimmer of hope. Shout out to Steve again. That's awesome that that was open there. And it's a cool place, too. You've been there. Yeah. I need to go. I need to make a trip. But that's awesome. I wanted to end on a lighter note or on a, on a happier note. <laughs> but that's awesome to hear. So, man, thank God. Uh, I can see God moving. Shout out to Steve again. And um, I pray that more of you is moved by this episode. And I pray that more people are moved by food apartheid. And, you know, gets their hands dirty, does something about it. But uh, if you guys are listening and you were moved and you have something to share, please, please hit us up on Instagram at embrace underscore podcast or on our Reddit page, uh, embrace underscore M-O-R. Thank you guys again so much for rocking with us for so long. And we'll see you on the next episode of Embrace More Podcast. Peace.